You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. And welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I hope you enjoyed the last episode, which was a look at 2021's top five prospects. This is going to be a continuation of that, going through six through ten of our top ten prospects for 2021. Keep in mind, this is probably going to be missing some players that didn't quite graduate from the list because we can't really project who's going to be graduated. I thought it was easier to just remove anybody that's already made an appearance at the big league level. It makes it more interesting when you can go through the top 10 of guys that have not even sniffed the major leagues. That way it's more projectable for the future. So six through 10 will also be prospects that have not yet made an appearance or recorded a single at bat at the major league level. And without further ado, I'm going to start with number six, which is Jared Kalinick. So if you go back to last episode, you know that I was saying how Kalinick just missed the cut. Torkelson just edged him out because I really like what Torkelson's capable of power-wise. I think his floor is so high just with his sheer ability to hit for power without too much swing and miss concern and a good approach. Kalinick, though, not quite there power-wise with Torkelson because Torkelson's a generational talent when we're talking about the power he can produce. But when we're talking about hit tool, there's not very many players in the minor leagues that are as good as Jared Kalinick at just consistently hitting the ball with authority. And Kalinick can also hit for some power too, but he's more multifaceted in the respect that he hits for average, he's a tough guy to strike out, and he is very polished at the plate from the left side. If you may remember, I'm sorry Mets fans, but got to trace it all the way back. He was drafted by the Mets, sixth overall in 2018. And back in that draft, man, I remember looking at that guy's swing and just saying, wow, Kalinick is going to be a stud. And you could just tell by the way he hit the ball, even in a batting cage, that it was just a clean, repeatable swing that was going to play well all the way through and that he was going to be a fast climber because those were the types of guys that climbed quickly. And what did he do? He climbed very quickly through the Mariners system. Of course, he was traded from the Mets to the Mariners for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz also going with him to Seattle was Justin Dunn, another high-level prospect that's already up at the big league level with the Mariners. So that's a trade that's going to sting for the Mets for the foreseeable future. And I think Kalinick's going to continue to improve and make that trade sting even more for Mets fans and for Brody Van Wagenen. To be fair, by the time the Mets had shipped him out, he had not been putting up any crazy numbers in rookie ball with the Mets. He had only played 44 games with them, was hitting 253 with a 350 on base, a WRC plus good for 107. He was solid, but this is a kid that was straight out of high school, a very polished bat. So we had high expectations for him going into rookie ball as more of a college type of player that quickly goes straight to full season A ball. Still, the Mets were willing to give him up in that larger deal for some veteran stars, and that was what the Mets wanted to do. He goes to Seattle and finally gets a chance to now play full season ball in 2019, and that is where he really starts to prove the people right that liked him and make the Mets regret what they had done. And A-Ball quickly climbs all the way up to double A within the 2019 timeframe, which is crazy. 50 games in A-Ball, 
before he's moved up to high A, where he puts up some solid numbers too, then moved up to double A for 21 games, where there he even put up some good numbers. The batting average took a slight dip, but he had a very, very unlucky stretch there. His BABIP was actually lower than his batting average, which is incredibly rare, and only because of the fact that he hit six home runs in 92 plate appearances, and home runs don't count towards balls in play. So that just shows you how unlucky he was. He really did not have any balls bounce his way. Still put up a 133 WRC plus in those 21 games in double A for the Mariners in Arkansas and cut the K rate down to 18%. So he is walking right around 9%, whether it was from A ball to double A and really didn't miss a beat any step of the way. This is a kid that's well-rounded can play center field right now. And if he can stick to center field, his value is just ridiculous. But even at a corner spot, his bat plays so well. He he reminds me of a Michael Conforto type where he could play a corner spot for you, has the arm to play there, will hit you 15 to 20, 25 home runs, maybe get you 30 if he really is able to tap into his power a little bit more above average speed, and just an all-around player without much of a hole in his game. I really like the Conforto comp, which is ironic, being that he was traded from the Mets, and you'd think that they'd see him and also make that comp unless they don't love Michael Conforto. But for whatever reason, they let Kalinick go, and he has looked really, really good. Apparently, in big league camp, not even apparently because we saw some video, he teed off two bombs, looked good defensively, He was not overmatched by Major League competition, and he has been getting a lot of reps. Some have been clamoring for him to make his Major League debut. I don't think it'll happen this year. I don't think it should happen. It's just rushing him a little bit too much at this point, and there still are some little things that he needs to tweak, which I'll get into. As exciting as it would be to see Kalinick, it doesn't make sense for the Mariners right now, though I do think he could hold his own because of his advanced approach and because of his very simple and quick swing but no reason to rush Kalinick. One of the concerns with him, and concern is a very strong word in this regard, but he does pull the ball a little bit more than you'd like to see, especially for a guy that's not hitting you Joey Gallo type of numbers with home runs. Again, this is a guy that hits for average as well as power, and you want to see him be able to do that to all fields. He pulls the ball 54% of the time in A ball, Gets moved up to high A where he actually improves, gets it in the 40% range, but then back up to 52% in double A. And that's not really where you want to be if you're Jared Kalinick because that's not his game. And as we know, Major League Baseball shifts are killers for guys that like to pull too much. And again, if he's hitting 40 bombs to right field a year, then I'm not too worried about being pull happy, but that's not his game. He is smart and he doesn't chase pitches that are outside of his comfort zone. So he doesn't really like to swing at balls off the plate away or really on the corner away. Still, you're going to have to be able to do that at the major league level because they will pound you hard and away if you're Jared Kalinick. Another concern, too, is the fact that he only had one opposite field home run in his entire minor league career. 29 home runs total. Only one was the other way. So he's going to need to work on hitting the ball the other way with more authority. He's really good up the middle, but just right now, That's maybe the only hole in his game. He's got power to both gaps for the most part, but just once he starts getting to that left center area and further that way, he seems to just lose the barrel a little bit. So that's just the one concern. But to hedge that concern a little bit, most guys that are very pull happy will have the tendency to roll over a little bit too much. That's not the case for Kalinic. 
right around the high 30% range for his ground ball rate, which is by no means egregious and honestly not as bad as I thought it would be once I saw his pull rate. So we'll move on to number seven on the top prospect list, and that is Matt Manning. That might be high for some of you that are surprised to hear Matt Manning's name on this list, but I am incredibly high on this kid for so many reasons, and I'm going to get into them. Hopefully, I can cram it all in here because I still got three other players to get to after Matt Manning, but I'm so excited about this arm. I think Matt Manning can be the best pitching prospect out of Detroit. Yes, better than Tarek Skubal. Yes, better than Casey Mize. And I'll tell you why right now. Manning is six foot six, 195 pounds. And you're probably thinking, oh man, he should play basketball. Well, he did play basketball. He averaged 20 points a game in high school. His father played in the NBA and was 6'11. And he was committed to Loyola Marymount University to play baseball and basketball. So he's a great athlete. But on top of that, he was pretty focused on basketball most of his life. I mean, his father was in the NBA, so what do you expect? He says in his own words, Manning did in a couple different interviews, that he really didn't even focus on pitching until junior year of high school. So you can imagine that he was a project for teams that were looking at him, and that kind of makes sense as to why he committed to Loyola Marymount University and wasn't one of those pitchers that throws hard early on and ends up committing to Vanderbilt their eighth grade year or freshman year of high school. This is a very different guy in a different profile. With anything in life, projects sometimes don't work out, but the ironic thing is a lot of the other prospects that were considered more polished high school arms in that draft have been lagging behind in development from Matt Manning. So let's get into his arsenal a little bit. His fastball, 92 to 95, tops at 97. That's his best pitch, of course but a power curveball that's a bit of a hammer curve, but as he's learned to develop it more, he can make it more of a 12-6, or he can also bend it to where it's more of a sweeping curve, excuse me, and that's something that takes experience, and it helps him versus lefties having more of the 12-6, and versus righties having more of the sweep. That's something that's basically a two-for-one pitch, and most importantly, he has really worked on the changeup. Again, what is the hardest pitch to throw in baseball? Usually for 99% of pitchers, it's the changeup. And that's what a lot of pitchers is the missing piece for them to become a really complete pitcher, especially a kid like Manning that really rides on that fastball that has a rising action to it, that has crazy spin rates and is perceived as faster. He gets so much swing and miss up in the zone. And now that he adds that changeup to just change the eye level to really keep hitters off balance, it's going to be really hard to hit Matt Manning. And the questions for him were really, can he throw strikes? Because when you're six foot six, it is really hard to repeat your mechanics, whether you've been pitching your whole life or whether you are relatively new to pitching. And with Manning, that was the concern. He was struggling to repeat his mechanics. He very much simplified them as he focused on baseball. He was able to shorten his arm slot. He was able to keep things more condensed. And now he throws a lot more strikes. Just to put it in perspective, in his first full professional season, 51 innings, he walks 25. That was just an A ball and low A. So you could see the command issues were there, but he had 62 punch outs in 51 innings. So you could see the strikeouts were there. Fast forward to 2018, he gets a bigger body of work and they were really careful with him were the Tigers because he had never pitched a six inning game even in his entire career. So he was very much a guy with not a lot of miles on his arm, which is something that's very good. He's had no arm issues in his professional career, knock on wood, wish him the best, but he has had no arm issues 
which is huge, especially with bigger guys that either go one way or another, but it's so effortless for him and he uses his body so well that he's able to keep his arm healthy and doesn't have as many miles. So fast forward to 2018, where he pitches between high A, actually starts in A ball, then goes to high A, then has a cup of coffee in double A. But overall in 117 innings, he punches out 154, but most importantly, walks 51, which is a little bit better. But then 2019 is where things really clicked for him. And keep in mind, though, even with the 51 walks in that season, still put up a 3.29 ERA in 22 starts and only gave up 90 hits. So he really wasn't giving up much contact. It was just the free passes turning into earned runs. But then last year, dazzling. 133 and two-thirds innings, 148 Ks, only walks 38. It clicked for him there. The whip for the first time in his professional career is below one, and he pitches to a 2.56 ERA in double A. You might be thinking, why is he not getting moved up right now? He was a project that ended up going much faster and progressing much faster than the Tigers had anticipated, which is great. But also, you don't want to stunt that growth or move him up if he's not quite ready. So as he's developing that changeup, that'll be something that is probably the last little piece to him being completely major league ready and maybe the command a little bit still. His control has improved, but the command of locating within the strike zone will be important as well. But the fact that he's six foot six is able to get so much reach and generate so much spin on his fastballs, that rising action to it is just going to be something that is so hard to hit and will work off really well off of his 12-6 curveball and the changeup that is in the works. For the Tigers, their dream has come true and the project has really worked out for them. And I think Matt Manning will be the best pitcher out of the Tigers system. And that's no slight against Casey Mize or Tarek Skubal. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best option for a health conscious guy. Whether you're looking to maintain weight or lose weight, Built Bar is a great option. Low in calories, low in fat, low in sugar, and great for a keto diet. They added six new flavors, including caramel brownie, peanut butter brownie, which is my favorite, carrot cake, and several others that really all just taste like a delicious treat while you're not even getting the bad calories or fat that goes with it. And best of all, Built Bar is offering $10 off your first order. All you have to do is go to BuiltBar.com and put in promo code LOCKEDON. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Give them a try and let me know what you think. So now on to another one of my favorite prospects. I feel like I'm going to say this too much, and that's why I host this show. I guess I like way too many prospects. But C.J. Abrams is one that if you listened a few episodes ago of my Padres breakdown of their entire farm system, of course, this was before they made a lot of the trades. So if the Padres made a deal with one of your teams, definitely go check that out because there's a good chance that I talked about whatever prospects came over in that deal in that episode or the trade deadline episode. So a little background on C.J. Abrams. He was the sixth overall pick out of high school back in 2019, so not long ago, and he has already made some major adjustments from when I saw him in high school to when I saw him in his professional debut. Abrams is as fast as anybody in professional baseball, an 80-grade runner, which you don't see very often. He absolutely flies, but the hit tool was a little bit of a question in high school. Not whether he could really 
put the bat on the ball, but whether he could really drive the ball because it seemed like against better competition and just in general, he tended to roll over a bit too much. But if you looked at his old swing versus his swing now, you can see the big difference and why he was able to generate more power now and why he's not rolling over as much now. First of all, with Abrams' old approach, he had a timing mechanism that would change from pitch to pitch sometimes. It would be a toe tap sometimes, sometimes his foot would hang in the air. No matter what it was, he would end up drifting forward. First of all, you want to repeat your mechanics, of course, and you want to repeat your timing. Whether you're a pitcher like Matt Manning or a hitter like CJ Abrams. So he was really getting caught in between quite often. He was hanging that foot up or doing the toe tap drifting forward, and what happens when you drift forward, your bat drags through the zone, and you end up rolling over on it a lot, and you end up losing a lot of power. Then, he comes back in his first professional season, and I'm sure that the Padres coaches got to him and really worked with him, because he widens his stance, he gets more into his legs, and he's able to really have a consistent timing mechanism. He picks a foot up, puts it back down, he really loads back into the back hip a lot more, because before, it was just a consistent drift forward. He didn't load into the back leg. He didn't sink into the back hip. He didn't coil the front leg at all. So he really wasn't generating any power. He just had such good hands that he was able to throw the barrel at the ball, hit it on the ground or hit a liner and really just use his speed. Now he's hitting the ball with authority to all parts of the field. And that's thanks to the adjustments that he's made. Instead of having a timing mechanism that changes, he's able to go to a consistent, more rhythmic load a slight coil, which allows for more consistency and also allows for more power. So it's no surprise that after really not having much power on display in the high school circuit, he was able to hit for much more power in his rookie ball debut with a wood bat. He hit three home runs in 32 games, which was more than he hit in high school in his senior season in less games, but most impressively hits 401, hit eight triples, and the parks are a little bit bigger there in most of the rookie facilities. That was in Arizona. But he flies, so he puts it in the gap. He's running around the bases. He's got a good chance for three anytime he puts it in the gap. But again, that's showing his increase in power. He also added 12 doubles. So 401 batting average, 442 on base, 662 slugging, and 1104 OPS. That's in just rookie ball, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves or anything. I'm not saying he's going to hit 400 through the minor leagues. But the fact that he went straight from high school and put up those numbers and really answered a lot of those questions, let me add 14 stolen bases as well, of course. That is something that was really encouraging to me because when I was seeing that slap hitter type of profile, I was a little bit nervous. But now you see a lot more power in his swing and he's 6'2", 185. And I mentioned he's a shortstop too. So he doesn't necessarily need to hit for power if he's that effective at the plate as a table setter. But as a 6'2", 185 guy, you figure he's going to fill out a little bit more. He's finding the power stroke a little bit. I don't think he's ever going to hit for more than 10, 12 home runs. But that doesn't really matter because his game is really a good hit tool that he plays well with because of the fact that he's able to put the ball in play. But instead of rolling over an egregious amount, he kept it at 48%. Yeah, that's higher than the league average, but you want him to hit ground balls higher than the league average. You just don't want him to roll over a ridiculous amount where like 50, 60%. Keeping it right in the high 40s is a good spot for him because anytime the ball is on the ground, he's got a chance to beat it out. But he, he also was much better at driving the ball in the air to all fields. So it was really good to see from him. He's one of my fastest climbers, I think, 
as high school bats in the minor leagues. And I think that he's going to be maybe even a top five prospect before he gets the call up. He's going to light the world on fire next year and climb up from A ball quickly to double A, maybe even triple A by the end of the year. That's how good I think he is. And that's how sold I am on his adjustments. He's made great strides at shortstop. He's got a rocket for an arm, but even if he can't stick there, he can play second base and be a plus defender. He's got the speed to play center field and an arm to play center field, and he's shown some ability to be able to track the ball there. So he has a very high floor too. I really, really like this kid, and I think with the changes that he's made to his swing, widening that stance a little bit, getting more in his legs, and just being able to drive the ball, it's really big for him, and he's going to really have a big year next year. Another guy now that we have not seen yet, really, at the professional level, it's Austin Martin. Austin Martin creeps into nine, mostly because a lot of guys have graduated, but I have also looked at some other tape and watched back from the College World Series. I've always been high on Austin Martin. He was supposed to go number one overall, really heading into last year, as many thought. It was him or Torque. Of course, Torque ends up being the guy, and Martin actually fell to fifth. While we don't really know why he fell necessarily, whether it was team needs or whether it was Scott Boris related, who knows? I'm not going to speculate, but Austin Martin with the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays were thrilled to get Austin Martin at five. I can promise you that. His sophomore season, he really put himself on the map. He had a great freshman season, didn't quite hit for power, but qualified for Team USA. Sophomore year, he was a Golden Spikes finalist as a sophomore, which is so rare. 410, 503 on base, 619 slugging, hits 10 home runs if you count the College World Series, drove in 42, 18 stolen bases, most impressively 38 walks to 31 strikeouts. This is at Vanderbilt too. This is SEC pitching. So this is pretty tough competition. It does help that he had Kumar Rocker on his team and he didn't have to face Kumar Rocker, but they faced some tough arms, including Bryce Jarvis of Duke when they played in the Super Regional. And I was really impressed with how he handled those ABs. He was even better in the College World Series, had a big home run in that huge Omaha ballpark that's not easy to hit in in TD Ameritrade. So he has the juice. He has it, but it just isn't quite consistent yet for him. He was listed as a shortstop for a while, but he was struggling with some throwing mistakes and accuracy, so he got moved to third last year. He also was playing some center field. He has above average speed, so you could see him playing center field and probably be solid. He has the arm to stay there as well. Not quite C.J. Abrams speed or not even close really, but he is an above average runner and he does have a very solid, I would say a very polished approach to the game, meaning that he takes good routes to the ball. He's very efficient. He doesn't really make those careless mistakes, which is what you would expect from a well-rounded college player that won a College World Series, and played in the SEC, but he takes it and even takes it further. So I like his profile. I think he's incredibly high floor of a guy, and maybe the ceiling isn't quite that of C.J. Abrams, and that's why Abrams has the edge over him, and also the fact that Abrams can play shortstop and has a better bet to stay in center field. But Austin Martin, really well-rounded, and if he can play second base or third base, which we know he can, I don't think the power profile is there to play third base, but he could easily play center or second base and be an above-average defender. The question is, how much power does he have? Because after not hitting many home runs, he added 10 his sophomore year. Then he added three in the early start to this season, which it would have been nice to see what he could have done on a macro scale. Unfortunately, we don't get to see that. Still, all around, the hit tool is his calling card. The fact that he hit 400 in the SEC is absurd, and that's no fluke, and that's something that's going to be what carries him through the minor leagues. And again, 
the commonality with these guys is a lot of them seem to be fast climbers, which is rare. But I know it's the top 10, so you expect it. But oftentimes, a lot of the guys in the top 10 aren't fast climber type of profiles. But Austin Martin's consistency, his hit tool, and his mature approach to the game should help him big time when he wants to quickly move through and hopefully get to the Blue Jays who could use him now as they're getting closer and closer to contending and we're seeing them go all in this year going to get some bats, including Jonathan Villar, who's a stopgap in the meantime. But a middle infield of Bo Bichette and Austin Martin could be very, very scary and a very polished and solid productive infield if that's the case of course Vladdy at third as well so last but not least this is a guy that finally kind of takes back the fast climber type of mold Bobby Witt Jr. because Bobby Witt Jr. is a high school guy that was drafted second overall back in 2019 he's a freak athlete really really good all-around player when you look at what his projection is five-tool type of guy if everything works out. I've seen Trevor Story comps. I really like the Trevor Story comp because he has ridiculous raw power for just a six-foot-one, 180-pound kid roughly, but he is able to just generate some ridiculous bat speed and get some nice leverage on the ball. He won the home run derby, the high school home run derby in Omaha. I believe, no, it was the all-star game, actually. That's where they did it. And he won it in the all-star game just hitting bombs. Yeah, they used BESR bats, but still beat all the other top high schoolers in the country and put on a show there, which I'm sure helped put him on the radar of a lot of scouts, even though he already was. This is a guy that has 20-20 to 30-30 potential if it works out, but still very early in the development for him. He was a little bit shaky in his first professional season. Of course, this is a guy also drafted in 2019, just a few picks before C.J. Abrams. So we haven't seen much, and we haven't really gotten a chance to see him develop since it's been a while since we've seen minor league games. He's getting a chance to train with Kansas City at the alternate training site, which of course helps big time. But overall, it's still going to be a little bit of a process for him. And in his first professional season, only had one home run and eight extra base hits and 180 plate appearances. So that was a little bit concerning when you're thinking about his power profile, but I'll take Fangraph's word for it because I don't have access to that data. I've read from a few different areas, including Fangraph's, that the batted ball numbers in terms of the metrics, velocity, launch angle, everything, points towards it not being a concern. It was a little bit fluky that he was not able to hit for some more power and that he should be fine. It's a little bit of a consistency thing for him. The swing and miss is always going to be there, like Trevor Story, but it might not be quite as bad as Trevor Story because he still has so much time to figure things out. His father was a third overall pick, of course, Bobby Witt Sr., so he has the bloodlines as well. Most importantly for Witt, he has no questions as to whether he can stay at shortstop, which, of course, is a very valuable aspect to a shortstop prospect is whether he can stay there at all and whether you have to find another position for him like Austin Martin, which is a little bit of the prospect concern for him. Witt's got the quick feet. He's got a rocket of an arm and really just seems like a veteran at shortstop. That's going to be less of the question. It's just whether he can tap into that power and consistency with the bat. Reports were that he was a little bit too passive in his pro debut, so that's not a terrible thing. Usually, you see guys maybe being a little bit too aggressive, having trouble with pitch selection. It wasn't like he was striking out an egregious amount, just still feeling things out, it seemed like, and a little bit too timid. So while the Royals will probably take their time with Bobby Witt Jr. and their window of contention is probably pretty far away, 
They have done a good job of replenishing their farm system, and I do think that Witt has all the makings to be a star in this league. It's just going to take a little bit for him to climb through the system, and I'm very excited to see what he can do next year. He's on the top of the list of guys I'm looking forward to seeing in a full season context and in A ball or high A or whatever it may be. It's going to be fun to watch this kid play and see how he develops. Hope you enjoyed this episode on the top prospects for 2021. If you missed part one, go back to the previous episode so you can catch up, but it's Really fun talking about the future and even the future ahead of the future, which is what this seems like it is. But it's important because we're going to be seeing a lot more prospect lists after this season with so many players graduating. Over 30 players of MLB Pipeline's top 100 have been called up either this year or the end of last year. So a lot of players graduating. And that's why I had to err on the side of players or prospects that have not yet made a major league appearance to make my 2021 list. Could shake it up when we see who doesn't graduate. Coming up this week, an interview with Rob Friedman, also known as the Pitching Ninja himself. That Twitter account that always posts the cool gifs of all the different pitchers throwing nasty pitches that you see. It's that guy. He is so awesome, and he has a lot of insight to shed on the really some of the up-and-coming arms in the major leagues right now. We'll talk plenty of Sixto Sanchez, some Tristan McKenzie, some top college arms, maybe Kumar Rocker, and a lot more. So I'm very excited to talk to the Pitching Ninja coming up this week. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.